Hello, baseball fans, and welcome to Sully Baseball Daily, the podcast we talk about baseball 365 days a year, unless it's a leap year, and then we're going to do another one. I've been doing this every single day since October 24th, 2012. It's now the 15th day of October. We are nine days away from the fourth anniversary, and I'm your host, Paul Francis Sullivan. Please call me Sully. I'm recording from Sully Baseball Studio in Pasadena, California, overlooking the historic Rose Bowl. The ALCS has begun. Uh, The first part of my prediction that I did yesterday from the airport was that the Indians are probably going to win both Corey Kluber starts, and boy, oh boy, yeah, it was yesterday was a one of those tight games that we've had in this postseason. There have not been many duds. In fact, let's let's just let's let's quantify that. A dud is a game that is pretty much, you know, decided early and just sort of slides on to the end. Uh, game two of the Red Sox and the Indians, where Kluber dominated, that was a dud. That was a dud. Games one and two of Toronto, Texas. Uh, Texas put up a fight, but I, you just got the sense that it was too little too late. So I'll call that three duds. Um, and was there a dud in the... I mean, all the games between the Cubs and the uh, Giants were at least interesting. Three of them were one-run games. Uh, Dodgers, Nationals... I mean, I mean, even the eight to three game, that was four three going into the ninth. Man, when you look back, when the Nationals got that 8-3 lead, and then they took a, uh, you know, and they, they, yeah, that series was 5-5, that game four was 5-5. Man, the Nationals really wet the bed, didn't they? They really did. So, I really have only counted three duds in the entire postseason. Both wildcard games were classics. The, each game that ended the, all four division series were one-run games. Could have gone this way or that. That was uh, we're having a heck of a postseason here. We're even the you know even the sweeps the the Blue Jays and the Rangers ended with that wild weird extra inning games, and the Red Sox you know lost by one run in two of the games, a hit here or a hit there, and you know that's a completely different series. So we have this wasn't a one-run game, but it might as well have been. It was two nothing. The Lindor home run was the difference. Marco Estrada complete game loss. Those are always rough. Complete game losses are pretty rough. But we saw this is part one. The Indians are three wins away from going to the World Series. They're going to start Tomlin, who, as a friend of the podcast Jonah Carey said, had a deceptively fantastic game against the Red Sox. And if he can get the Blue Jays swinging from their heels now. I don't have animosity towards the Blue Jays. If the Blue Jays win the pennant, uh, I, it wouldn't, I wouldn't be like, damn it, damn it, damn it. Because there are players on there I really like, and it's also kind of a last dance for this. There's a, there's a sense of desperation on this team. But with that being said, I really would like to see Cleveland go forward. If the Blue Jays win today, it won't be devastating. I'm, you know, I won't be swinging at the wall. I, would, I am rooting very, very hard for L.A., over Chicago. Uh, I've said that over and over again. I've not been subtle about that. But the th- I want to address something that a fan of the podcast and a friend of the family has uh, wrote to me. Uh, Carol Leach, who I've known since I was a kid, our f- 
my family, is friends with their family and everything, and she saw that I did not give the Division Series MVP to Clayton Kershaw, and she was perplexed by that. He said they won both of his starts, came out of the bullpen to get the save. How is that not the MVP? It's a great question. It really is, and I'm going to address it here. And I think that by addressing it here, it's going to come about, I'm going to bring up what I think is one of the interesting narratives that is coming up, that is emerging in this postseason. Bear with me for a second, because this is all going to make sense. Um, I couldn't give Kershaw the MVP for this reason. When you're a pitcher and you are, you pitch to a 5.84 ERA, and he made two starts, and he averaged less than six innings per start. I think that's correct. Well, let's, let's do the math on that. He pitched 12 and a third innings, and two-thirds of those innings were thrown out of relief. So he didn't go very deep into the game, certainly not game one. He didn't go as deep as he wanted to in game four. And while that high array is a little bit deceptive because he let a lot of the bullpen let his inherited runs score, he did let up eight runs in 12 and a third innings. Now, he came out and, and, and did not go as deep into the game as you would want. He came out, he got the dominating uh, save to this absolute st- stunning everyone by coming out and getting a save. He did strike out 19 batters in 12 and a third innings and only walked three. So you can break down his stats and say, okay, they, you know, there's some really, really impressive parts to those stats. But if I'm going to give a pitcher the MVP of a series, they have to be dominant. I gave John Lester, even though he only pitched one game, because that one game was so critical that Johnny Cueto was on. He was on his game, big time. And if Lester had merely a good game and not a spectacular game, then the Giants are up one nothing, and the entire complexion of that series changes. If the Giants are up one nothing, they go back to AT&T Park knowing that Madison Bumgarner is throwing one game, then that's a guaranteed, almost best-case scenario for the Cubs that it will be, you know, tied at two going back to Wrigley with Cueto on the mound. And damn, it was almost that. It was almost that. It was the Giants needed uh, to hold on to a three-run lead in the ninth, and we could have had that. But let it go, Sully. So I think that in order for me to give an MVP to a pitcher, you have to have that kind of performance. Now, with that being said, an interesting narrative is starting to build with Clayton Kershaw, and that is the postseason redemption. Now, I've said it, and I'm, I'm falling into the trap. It is dangerous to try to talk about a narrative before a series is over. That's dangerous. You shouldn't do that. Narratives are in retrospect. So the narrative that seems to be building this year could be the redemption of Clayton Kershaw. When you take a look at I mean, this is going to be a topic of an upcoming podcast I'm probably going to do on Monday, but I'll give you a preview. It's been a while since we've had a legit superstar, potential Hall of Famer, 
getting their World Series ring. It's been a while since we've seen that. And in fact, the last time you could say it, the last time you could point to it, we didn't know these players were Hall of Famers or, or potential, you know, or, or potential superstars in Bumgarner and Posey back in 2010. In fact, Lincecum was the one who was the star of that team. But every year since then, if there's been a Hall of Famer or a superstar who gets a ring, uh, they're adding, they're padding their resume, whether it's Molina, whether it's Pujols, whether it's La Russa, whether it's Ortiz, whether it's Lester, whether it's Pedroia, whether it's Bumgarner and Posey. I don't know if there was a Hall of Famer, <clears throat> excuse me, didn't mean to cough right there, didn't know if there was a Hall of Famer on last year's Royals team. There very well may not have been, or maybe one of the young players will grow up and develop into a Hall of Famer. But there isn't that sense of like when Pujols finally won in 2006. Or, someone's going to cringe when I say this, when Alex Rodriguez won in 2009. Or, let's Chase Utley or that, that great Phillies team. One of those players is going to wind up going to the Hall. And they got their ring in 08, and there was that sense of the, there was a sense of coronation, the team that stuck together. It's been a while since we've seen that. Now, this Cubs team could very well have a Hall of Famer in its midst. You know, the Chris Bryant's one of those players may have that Hall of Fame type career, and winning a ring early, a la Jeter, a la Posey, might be what we'll remember about this World Series. But Kershaw is one of those players who's in the postseason, who's putting together, <clears throat> already putting together, I may have to cough, already putting together a Hall of Fame career. And if he wins the World Series, this would be his crowning achievement moment. Remember when Paul Molitor finally won a ring, or Dave Winfield finally won a ring, or those great pitchers like the Maddox and Glavin and Smoltz and that whole bunch finally won their ring. There was a sense of, wow, Randy Johnson and Kurt Schilling finally getting their rings. Pedro Martinez, that sense of a coronation. Pudge Rodriguez, who I hope gets into the Hall of Fame. When they, it's like, wow, that person who's put together a great body of work already and is probably going to go to the Hall of Fame can check that off their resume. And how many of those players are currently out there? Currently waiting for that first ring. You know, there's some on the Cubs, like Lester is looking for his third ring, for goodness sakes. But taking someone like Kershaw, who, as I said, the lone thing on his Dodger resume that separates him from all the legends right now is the postseason glory that Koufax had, that Drysdale had, that Jackie Robinson had, that Don Newcomb had, that Valenzuela and Hershiser. And all of them all had those crowning moments in the postseason. And Kershaw hasn't had it. He does have that image of him getting the final out of that amazing game against Washington. So he has the pick for the highlight reel. Kind of like when Hershiser came out of the bullpen in the 88 playoffs and stymied the Mets. And then we had the image of him closing out the Mets and closing out the A's. Is that what we're having with Kershaw? I'll tell you another person who, when you stop and think about it, you go, wait, what are you talking about, Sully? I said, wait, 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 wait. Let's not, the narrative couldn't be focusing 
on someone other than Clayton Kershaw. And let me tell you who it could be. Who's going to win the American League Cy Young Award this year? Could be Zach Britton. Don't tell Buck Showalter that. I think it's probably going to be Corey Kluber. Corey Kluber, who'd be, who'd be my personal pick to win the Cy Young Award. He's terrific year all around, both in terms of traditional stats and sabermetric stats and advanced stats and all the stats and stats and stats. And if that happens, guess what he would be? He'd be a two-time Cy Young Award winner. Now, it may be a little late because he's older than you think he is. He's 30. It may be a little late about him being a Hall of Famer, but if he's a two-time Cy Young Award winner with a great postseason under his belt, then he would just have to compile. He would just have to sit around. He would just have to build it up. Build up his resume. Just just be good for a bunch of years because you've done the hard stuff. And let me tell you what he's done so far. This is a Corey Kluber postseason that we're experiencing. He faced the Red Sox, who had the best run-producing lineup in baseball this year, and shut them out. He pitched seven innings, let up only three hits, struck out seven. It was He just shut them down. There was, it was no contest. Then he faced a Toronto team that could slug with anybody. Think about it. Donaldson. Encarnacion, Batista, up and down that lineup. Granted, Russell Martin is not hitting at all, but Troy Tulowitzki. And he held them scoreless for six and a third innings. Granted, he wiggled in and out of trouble. He let up eight base runners, but he struck out six along the way and got a key double play along the way. And so he has gone up against not chumps, big-time teams with DHs without holes in their lineup. Let me give you what his postseason line is. Do you like wins? He's 2-0 and in two starts. He's thrown uh, 13 and a third innings, which means he's, you know, he's averaging about, you know, six and a half innings, or more than, you know, about six and a half innings per start. That's what separated him from Kershaw, in my point. Also, the other thing is, no runs. No runs, nine hits, and 13 strikeouts, nearly a strikeout per inning pitch. And doing it against two teams that are not exactly a bunch of banjo hitters. So if I'm looking at this postseason, who is the narrative going to be? Who's going to capture this postseason? Now, it could very well be John Lester. If John Lester dominates Los Angeles and pitches the Cubs to the championship, boom. It's his postseason, and he has his share. I mean, he's a fantastic postseason pitcher. He won, uh, well, he was the, no, he didn't win Who Owns October in 2013 as a pitcher. That was Michael Walker, but he won Who Owns the World Series. He had a fantastic World Series. Pitched the clinching game in 2007, helped the Red Sox win in 2013 again, and obviously had the spectacular game one against San Francisco. Could be, I don't know if there's a pitcher, I mean, Marco Estrada is terrific, but I mean, the Blue Jays have to to start winning some games here. Um, It could very well be Kershaw, because of, you know, he's, he is 
he has that kind of Dan Marino stigma right now. Marino was statistically the best quarterback, but didn't have the Super Bowl highlight to go with it. The minute he gets that championship to go with it, all of a sudden, all discussion about... Then, then you can turn the discussion of where he fits in the all-time greats. Not that I think that it should be dependent on this. Not that I think that his legacy is dependent on whether or not he wins in October or not. But it kind of sort of does in the grand scheme of things. If I want to call him the greatest Dodger of all time, someone will say, yeah, but... He's got a. He wet the bed in 2013. He wet the bed in 2014. He bet the wet the bed in 2015. Okay, he has to dry the bed. This is the campaign for Clayton Kershaw to dry the bed. But ah, Kluber, Kluber is out there. Kluber is deceptive. The fact that Kluber is he's a pitcher who's a you know you like oh he's a really good pitcher. He's a solid pitcher. You could wake up one morning sometime in November if he pitches the Indians to the championship and gets a Cy Young. You could wake up sometime in November and say, Corey Kluber's a two-time Cy Young Award winner and led the Indians to the World Series. Really? Is that who he is? Now, that may make him a potential Hall of Famer. That may make him Brett Saberhagen who's also a two-time Cy Young Award winner who pitched a team to the World Series. But do you know what? That's not bad. Kluber, right now, is the man who is owning October. Kluber is the one who is turning the entire series and the entire postseason away from Boston, who had the best offense, away from Toronto, who unseated the Texas Rangers, who had the best record. You know, the whole story around Cleveland going into this postseason was, ah, man, too bad. Too bad. You know, they lost Salazar. They lost Carrasco. They're not full strength. It's too bad. It's too bad because if they were at full strength, this might be a pennant contender. And that's the sort of thing that could raise the, the profile of him in this postseason. Remember when Hershiser won in 1988? One of the things that made it so incredible were, first of all, the Mets and the A's were so much better than Los Angeles. But one of the other things was, was L.A. was just banged up. Pedro Guerrero was banged up for most of that season, was traded away for John Tudor, who got so hurt that he couldn't even finish his game in the World Series. Valenzuela was hurt. Their outfield was a mess. Kirk Gibson was hurt, save for the one at-bat against Dennis Eckersley that everyone remembers. But save for that one at-bat, they had an outfield of Mickey Hatcher, um, uh, John Shelby, Mike Davis, Mike Marshall... Jose Gonzalez, I mean, there was this was um, there was one other outfield they had up there who just just couldn't hit. It, they started Danny Heap. This was a team that won the World Series, and they jumped on the back of their star. Well, this is a team that saw their number two starter get hurt, their number three starter get hurt, and their number four starter cut his finger playing with a damn drone. And yet here they are, three wins away from the World Series. 
on the arm and the strength of Corey Kluber. Now, did Corey Kluber win the MVP of the division series? No, he didn't. I gave it to Jose Ramirez because, A, he batted 500, B, he was involved in every big rally, and C, he played spectacular defense. So get on me a little bit if you had trouble with that. But the fact of the matter is, Cleveland, city of champions, Cleveland, city of lights, could Cleveland be the city of Kluber? Or are we seeing the bed drying of Clayton Kershaw? We'll find out soon. But I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to do a, uh, what are these called? These are called podcasts every single day. So go to SullyBaseball.com, like me on Facebook, see the up-to-date listings of Who Owns Baseball on MLBReports.com. You can like me on Facebook, SoundCloud, YouTube, Twitter, Stitcher, iTunes, I'm everywhere. The music is by Ted Thacker and Patrick Kaliski. This has been the Sully Baseball Daily Podcast for the 15th day of October 2016. I'm your host, Paul Francis Sullivan. Please call me Sully.